Welcome to Whoa. Get up oh, everybody really and sing. Came in, came in hot. Welcome to Thing. You're watching the digital version of the thing before we get to get to be in person. But today we want to remind you that we want to end otherness and the ways that we are invited into doing that is to celebrate story. Today, we'll get to celebrate Dan's story and who Dan is. But that's just, that's a vehicle to help you celebrate your story to know that there's room for your story, that your story is not too complicated, uh, that you're not too wounded, that whatever happened in the past, uh, the things that happened yesterday, or the things that happened 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, does not disqualify you from loving community that you are worth it, that you are enough, that there's power within you, and that the world needs you to show up as healthy and as whole as you can. So we celebrate stories in that way with curiosity and total honoring and dignifying and affirming and, uh, and wonder at your story. So your story matters. And later on, we'll get into scripture because we believe that the beautiful wide open scripture, uh, scripture or that story of God's love for humanity invites us into healing, invites us to show up also. And we, Dan and I will get to talk back and forth about it because we just believe that there's so much value in all of our interpretations of scripture and the ways that we see it. So the way that you see it, you is important. And we want to celebrate that because your experiences have given you a certain eye to see scripture and certain ears to hear it. And some of that is wounded and some of it is like, it might be off. Uh, some of it might be unbased or based in something other than truth. Uh, and that's okay too. We show up and we just keep getting shaped by truth and love and hope. Um, the kind of hope that uh, is not based in the outcomes, but is based in the integrity of the story. And so uh, that's what we're here to do. Today, we get to do with Dan the Man, aka Dan Lamont, aka Dan Previtt. I, I so appreciate who Dan is. I got to know Dan um, more personally over this COVID quarantine time. And to me, he's an extraordinary human being. That is very vague and open-ended. Dan, to me, he is filled with humor, but it's, it's the kind of humor that's based in um, experience. I think a lot of the best humor comes from pain. It comes from being able to see the world a certain way. And Dan definitely has that. And so he's done acting. He's been in LA a while. He grew up in uh, Southeast Asia. Um, and so there's a, there's a wealth of experiences that I'll let him get into when he introduces himself. But I have to say that I know Dan to be a really kind and thoughtful human being. Uh, someone who can help you has helped me in the past to slow down, to listen, to imagine my own life story as he led me and some friends through some meditation. Um, he is someone who he's the kind of person who actually shows up. So back to integrity, back to friends and friendships. Dan is the person who says, hey, you have that thing that you can't do on your own. I will actually show up to help you do it. Um, he's that kind of person. And so when I think about the kinds of stories that matter, and it doesn't come from a perfect life, but I, I, I think about Dan, 
Dan's story matters. He's gritty. He has stuck out the LA grind. He has shifted. He does 17,000 jobs to make sure that the bills are paid. And, um, but I, I just deeply respect him now that we've, uh, now, now that I've talked for 5,000 hours, 5,000, 2,500, even though that's not exactly how that song goes. It's close. It's, it was cl it's close enough. I recognized it. Come on. The tune was there. The melody was there, but the accuracy was not. And strong, too. You have a good, a good rich timber, a Come good <laughs> musical timber. Come on. A good baritone. Dan, Dan I, I respect you deeply. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. That's uh, I'm committed to who you are. And I have felt your commitment to me and my family, my wife and my kids. And so I appreciate you, bro. That's what I think of you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. And uh, I, Mark, that is the nicest and most staggeringly terrifying introduction anybody has ever given me in my entire life. The, the bar has been set so high. If I don't if I don't now bring, if I've got, I don't know if that ding just came through on your end. Perfect. So now like we're off to the races. Oh God. I mean, if I don't bring some hot, hot heat today, man, dude, that's so, that's so kind of you. And I, and I want to say, I feel like, like, first of all, I think this, we could probably talk for an hour just complimenting one another. I think that you and I could just go back and forth uh, approving of one another's life choices and our commitments to, to our ideals. But I, I just want to say thank you because I feel like it's, it's, it's so, uh, like, it's so weird to get an introduction like that after like the past couple of weeks I've had that have just been not not bad not not outrageously negative just so deeply mundane in some mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. not in not in like a terrible like you know i'm not, I'm not meaning to be overly negative about that but it, it's just been life it's just been sort of like show up to work trying to keep ahead of finances trying to keep things in balance am i giving you know my my uh, my girlfriend enough time am i giving Am I allowing any time for my creativity? Not really. Am I? It's just like, oh my goodness! Like, just, just life sometimes feels a lot like life. And then to sit down with you and get all that praise heaped on me is just like, man. I, I wonder how often all of us just totally lose sight of what other people experience in us because we're just sort of stuck in the in the, the, the gears of our day-to-day -day life. Mm. I mean, if, if, if you had asked me, like, why don't you describe yourself? I wouldn't have said any of the things you just said. I wouldn't mm. have begun to say any of that. I, I, I maybe would have said I was raised in Southeast Asia. Like, that might have, that, that might have come up. But, man, thank you so much. That is, that's such a gift. I'm so deeply touched and I'm honored to be here, man. I'm looking forward to looking forward to this conversation. You're welcome. Man. I think when you mention the ways that other people see us, I think I'm thankful for our relationship and the ways that I have seen you so that I can speak to that. But I also think about the ways that there are people whose lives are shaped by perceptions of them that are not positive, that mm -hmm. someone in the past, a really strong voice, a parent or somebody deprived you of affirmation and validation. 
especially in, in, in times that where there's so much um, absence from parents, whether they're physically there or not, um, where the negative kind of perceptions of others shape our story in a way that's really unhealthy. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just really thankful. I'm glad that I can be someone who can see those things in you and call them out and to point at them in a time that feels mundane and not like that or not in alliance with that or I I appreciate I appreciate that and I kind of wonder if there's something about um I wonder if there's something about friendships that have been formed between people this year and in in this sort of wonky time because you and I got to know each other through a new abbey small group got to know each other in 2020 post covid post lockdown so getting to know one another in a group context under very unusual circumstances mm-hmm. and through an unusual medium um and i wonder if there's something about like the relationships that have formed this year will be informed by all of that in a way that relationships might not have been otherwise uh, under normal circumstances, had had we met under normal circumstances or gotten to know each other in a more traditional small group, I wonder if those things would have come to the surface as mm-hmm. as readily. I wonder if I wonder if we would have been looking for those things to come to the surface in other people. I think, in a way. I felt really blessed to be in that small group with you and with everybody else. I mean, it's, it's ongoing. So I still feel blessed to be a part of that small group with you and everybody else. Just because it's, it's a, it's a way to experience people um, in a really, really authentic, open way. There's not a lot of people aren't bringing like people aren't posturing. I feel like due to everything everybody has experienced in 2020, especially in a group that feels safe like that group, people aren't coming to the group needing to impress or needing to win others over. Mm -hmm. So people aren't leading with, I think that, you know, it's so easy to like build up a shell that we like present to the world so that we, you know, through things we've learned that, oh, this is something people like about me, or this is how I get approval, or this is, this is an attribute that really attracts people to me. I think a lot of us came to that group with just kind of like, hey, it's been a weird one. This is, uh, this is where I'm at. And we were all sort of like, hey, yeah, heard, I'm, I'm with you there. And uh, a lot of that came to the surface quicker, which I'm really grateful for. I think it's rare for that to happen. Yeah, I think about the fertility of challenging times and I don't think anybody in 2020 or quarantine life like has space for for the bs or just like the like it was really like oh no 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 because I think quarantine just kind of exacerbated all the things that were already there whether it's loneliness or anxiety or marital um unalignment or challenge or whatever the situations were going on I think like 2020 like you said it just kind of like brought all that it was it was just it just brought it all up. It was already there. It just kind of revealed it. But then there wasn't space to like, just let it be or to try and hide behind it or back to the posturing or whatever. You, the things that you mentioned is like, no, it's it's time to jump in here and, and be real. It's almost like we didn't have energy for fakeness. Yeah. And I think especially, especially over, I think, I think a part of that is doing things over zoom, like people, so many people are having to work digitally 
and it's exhausting. I mean, having to conduct all of your work meetings, every, every work interaction over a screen can get so taxing that mm -hmm. when you do, uh, you know, by the end of the day, you come to your new Abbey small group, you're just, you're gassed. You're, you're gassed on having to do all of the, the politeness, you know, like my, my girlfriend talks a lot about like, she'll come out of the office after like a long work session or something. And she's just like rubbing her face. Cause she's like been just like smiling for hours. <laughs> like I've just been like, uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Great. And it's, and like, she comes out of it and she's just like, I can't, I don't want to, you know, I'll, I'll like try to make her laugh. And she's like, Nope, not, not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, that's really interesting about the con the, the spaces that we're coming from and coming into. And I think about some of the nature of, of different work of, of your girlfriend's work of what does it mean to train other people in their crafts and, and just the complexities of, of this year. And I think about kids too, about where, I mean, like back to this year, when you think about relationships, a lot of like this year as a parent has felt like, what about education? And then I think about as, as a, you know, one of my, my brother is a coach, a baseball coach. And so there's this gap in like athletics. There's a gap in almost mm. a gap in education. It's not a gap. We're expecting kids to learn all the things they would have this year, right? Which is just gnarly. But right. I think there is there is a gap. There's going to be a gap. Um, and I don't think back to what you're saying. It, maybe it's not. It's not as much of a gap as that. It is allowing us to get into different things. It's mm -hmm. really digging up some of the the underbelly of things. Um, the things that were already there. And when I think about things that were already there, I think about your story and we haven't heard much of it yet, but. Solid you know, segue though. That was pro professional. It was, come on. With I love three, that. Three, three episodes in, come on. <laughs> Dan, are you kidding me? Back, back, to, back to that deep move and the transition. When I think about what's there for yeah. your story, your story is humongous and you can share as much of it as you want. But I would say that the more pointed 2020 question is, what from your story has felt like it's come up in 2020? Are there specific experiences that have like, you felt them bubble up to say, hey, deal with me, or hey, I'm shaping you still? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's such a great question. Um, and I think that would be a great question for, for any human being alive right now. But for me specifically, my, my story in brief, uh, I was born in Anaheim, California, and that part feels pretty normal. Um, but uh, my parents had already committed to becoming uh, missionaries. Um, my dad uh, had already started working with women and children in worst case scenarios. So global poverty and global sexual trafficking. So by the time I'm born, my mom and dad are kind of already on that road. My dad is sort of leading the charge in, in, in that new direction of his life. Also, both of my parents um, came to faith after very, very crazy younger lives. Like they're not, not raised Christian. And, you know, they, I think they became Christian right around 30. So prior to that, they, they really lived kind of wild lives. I'm born and uh, we moved to Bangkok, Thailand, like almost immediately after moved to Bangkok when I was 10 months old. So all of my first memories are in Southeast Asia, Thailand. You know, I remember 
hanging out in the slums where my dad's little tiny church was and uh, river boats and elephant rides and uh, you know all kinds of atypical stuff. When I was about six, we moved to Cambodia, um, which was real a real rocky spot. You know, that's the late '90s. I'm aging myself a little bit, but um, you know, Phnom Penh, Cambodia in the late '90s was very very rough, uh, very violent. Um, it was. Cambodia to this day, I mean, uh, I don't, no, no need to get into like a deep history lesson, but it's never fully recovered after the Khmer Rouge and um, the, their, their, the dictatorial regime of the, the communist Khmer Rouge completely gutted the country and the country still hadn't bounced back in any meaningful way. It was not really aided by the powers that be. So we lived there in the late 90s and it was very rough. Um, we moved to America after that when I was about nine, nine or 10. We lived in Colorado for a minute. Uh, and then when I was um, 13, so for timeline, I'm in Colorado from like 1998 to 2002. So I'm, and that's like uh, fourth or fifth grade through seventh grade. So I'm in America for a very pivotal period in American history. Uh, I'm here for NSYNC. Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, like I'm here for all the, for, uh, you know, the, the peak of the Disney Channel original movie. I'm here for that. I'm here for primetime Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, come on. Here for all of it. I'm also here for 9-11. That feels fairly important. I'm in America for that. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that when Americans ask me like, oh, you don't remember that? And it's like, well, I, I wasn't here. I have no memory of that. Mm -hmm. But I was here for that. Then after that, yeah, eighth grade, we moved to Bucharest, Romania, and I, I spent the rest of my early educational experience, eighth grade through 12th grade in Bucharest, Romania in Eastern Europe. And then uh, I moved back to America to go to college. So kind of a, I, I, that's all kind of chaotic and turbulent. Um, in between all of those places, there is um, you know, every once in a while, we would have to move back to America for a short time so that my dad could fundraise. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like, if this year has really brought up anything, and it's brought up a lot of things, but the first thing that jumps to mind is I've really been having to come to terms with, through my own work and through therapeutic work with professionals, the likes of which I'm not capable of doing by myself, um, I have had to come to terms with how much of my early life was really just about being uprooted. And so much of my early formation is this sense of like, nothing is concrete and everything is constantly changing. Hmm. Um, and if something, I think that that developed in me a certain survival mechanism of, uh, well, if something is hard or bad, then if I just wait a little bit, it'll change. We'll move or someone else will move or we, there was just a lot of upheaval mm -hmm. and um, a deep lack of knowing where I belonged or fit or felt at home. I think mm -hmm. a sense of at-homeness mm -hmm. is a very, very abstract concept to me and remains that way to this day. And so this year, I think the way that that has really manifested is uh, prior 
to the shutdown. I've been a bartender for years. I mean, as you mentioned, I've, I've been involved kind of on the fringes of the LA entertainment scene, never, never in the, the gloried halls of, of uh, regular success, but I've, but I've existed on the edges of it. And uh, on the edges of that, I've also bartended a lot. And so I was bartending um, when the pandemic hit and therefore lost all my work. Uh, like a lot of people, you know, I was just one of millions of people who just found themselves seemingly overnight without a job, without a means of income. And I think the feeling of that feeling of like, this isn't my fault. Like I didn't do something wrong. I didn't get fired. It's not like I misperformed my job and was let go. I like, the world just fell out from under me. Hmm. And has it been so much worse for so many other people? Absolutely. And I've been thus far been very fortunate hmm. health wise, but this was just a very chaotic year in terms of like, um, man, I can never get my feeling like I can never get my feet under me. And there have been a lot of moments where I'm like, man, this feels like being a kid again. The world is constantly shifting underneath my feet. I keep trying to grab onto something to hold on to some sense of security and decisions keep being made for me. Mm. We're moving here. We're leaving now. We're doing this. And now as an adult, your jobs are gone. You have to pivot. You have to do this. Um, and that's been, that's been real. That's been really challenging on an, mm. on an ego level. <laughs> When you say that you had that therapeutic kind of professional help, are there the theme that we circle around is is that belonging, that sense of um, not being able to get rooted or um, the ground, the foundation, um, which makes me think of solid rock, which is a whole other thing. But I think about yeah. <laughs> um, what have you come to as helpful ideas or coping? It's not even a coping mechanism, but I think a coping belief. You well, I think, about, yeah. I think the tricky thing about, you know, we're, we're roughly the, the same age, the twenties are in the rear view and we are, we are staunchly in our adult years now. And I mean, I am not in your position where I am responsible for the lives of other human beings, but in terms of just really trying to figure out who we are going to be as men and what our principles and values are. I do think there's this very uncomfortable transition that happens towards the end of your 20s into your 30s. I fully believe it happens for, um, for all people, but I can only speak to it as a man. Um, there is this thing of like, oh, the coping mechanisms that I had as a young person, as a child, they worked to a certain degree through my young adulthood. Those coping mechanisms kind of kept me going in my 20s, but then they start reaching a point, mid 20s, late 20s into your 30s, where those coping mechanisms are, they're doing more damage than they are helping you. Can the you name some of those that, that function for you as a 20, late 20 or younger person that no longer so, work? So a big thing for me um, that, I've, that I've identified is that as a kid, I, um, I had an intense imagination, just a, just a vivid, powerful ability to daydream, a, a very, very active, 
prolific, gifted daydreamer. And as a kid, I could, I mean, I could entertain myself for hours, just, just kind of thinking about alternative lives and imagining different scenarios. And I would construct whole realities where I had a different family or I was great at like a, a sport I was interested in at the time. And uh, sometimes, you know, they might feel like totally unrealistic. And other times it would just be like, I wonder what it would be like to live in America. I wonder what it would be like, like, well, I wonder what it'd be like if I was this age in an American school. Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine being popular, or being, you know, whatever it was. And to the point that like those fantasies were so strong, my mom will still tease me to this day about when I was a kid, she saved so much money on buying me toys because she could just give me a catalog of toys and I would just happily look at the pictures and just imagine having all these toys. Mm. And I could just like look at pictures because imagining having tons of toys was so much better than just having like one toy. Mm-hmm. Like having this one thing was like, eh, okay, cool. But like, wow, like the limits are, they're, they're endless. Mm-hmm. Well, that does not work as an adult mm. at a certain point you do have to begin to figure out what are these things that you can hold and have and you are going to commit to, whether those be aspirations, whether those be relationships with friends, with significant others, what are those things that you're like, no, you know what? I'm actually going to stop living in my fantasies Mm -hmm. and I'm going to engage my real life and the actual things that are really currently occurring and can really currently occur. Because to this day, it's very, very easy for me to just continue to engage in fantasies, alternative lives, different ways that my life could have gone, different ways that I could completely upend my life right now and go in a completely different direction, mm-hmm. completely just burn my bridges and, and start over. Mm-hmm. There is an escapist element to that fantasy holding wow. and a lot of my a lot of my work has to do with like how do we just be present and grounded and um engaged with what is actually real mm-hmm. that's been i mean that's i'd say that's one of a myriad of things but that's been a big thing for me that's that's really helpful to hear you say i think about the, the the process of of understanding or deciding or discerning wrestling through what things to hold and how do I hold them especially when I've practiced my whole childhood these different practices one of imagining things but also I I never really had to get rooted in a thing mm-hmm. and I think I think about the advantages of that there are advantages for a storyteller like yourself to have so much repetition in that. But I also, there is some disadvantage when it comes down to, to hold the things. Yeah. So. Well, and in a really, just to kind of take it away from the abstract and put it in like a really concrete, <laughs> in concrete form. So mm-hmm. I still, uh, I like, I, I think most people would probably, I think the people who know me would probably agree with this. I'm an idea guy. I, I love brainstorming. I love kicking around ideas. 
it's hard for me to turn my brain off. Uh, I mean, that, that there's just the, the, there's a whole nother trail we could go down about, you know, how substances helped me do that for far too long. But I mean, mm. like, <laughs> it's so hard for me to quiet my brain. And a lot of the time, that's fine, because I'm just coming up with ideas. And it might be for stories or like, oh, that's that feels like a I wonder if that could, that's a, a film or like, oh, I should write about that. Oh, that's an interesting idea. But what I don't want to do is sit down and actually write. Like, I don't want to, because that's like, ah, that's, that's like not as fun mm -hmm. as the fantasizing about it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's discipline. That's something that, you know, you just have to chip away at that. And there's going to be days where you sit down and you're not inspired. It doesn't feel good. And you just have to like, all right, kind of just put, you know, pen to paper or the digital version of that. But that, that I think is, you know, that's one concrete element in that I have recognized that uh, I sort of need doers in my life. I need the people who are like, that's a good idea. Let's actually like, let's run with that. Let's actually like do that idea. Because mm -hmm. then at the same time, I'll be like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I want to commit to that idea. Because if I start doing that idea, then like, that means I got to finish it. And mm -hmm. what if it's, what if that idea, what if I finish it and I put all that effort into it and it's unsuccessful? No, 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 no. It's easier to just let it be an idea because mm -hmm. then I don't have to like face it. So that's kind of like, that's one small way that I think that still manifests for me. I, I really appreciate you getting nitty gritty and, and real with it because what I hear you saying is, yes that there there can be an advantage there can be like i can be your ultimate brainstormer i can be really creative within the constraints of whatever you're dealing with but i hear you saying but i i i understand that about myself and what i have done to create not guardrails but a practice of really getting after it is i put people around me the doers mm -hmm. who will challenge me to move beyond just the ideas and move into the the doing and the mm -hmm. going that's really helpful because I, it, I think for whoever's listening um because you may be the doer and you may be really like stuck in the gritty of like i committed to this thing however many years ago and i will see it and I, that that makes me feel like the times that i've done that where i've been over committed to a thing that didn't it wasn't going to take me anywhere it wasn't really for me but i was trying to gut it out and make it the thing that i thought it could be and what I hear you saying, or the, the, maybe the thing behind the thing that you're saying is that we will always need other people around us to help us to shape, to see what we can't see, to be who we will never be on our own naturally, because we're just going to kind of lean into our story and all that stuff. But to have those people to draw us into different spaces and work different muscles that aren't natural to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this is another thing about me, but I tend to think in terms of metaphors. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a metaphor, but I feel like <laughs> There is, this, um, there is this natural part of being a human being where whether, if we're talking about like creative things or projects or different things we wanna work on in our lives, it's a little bit like uh, we have this urge to like climb mountains. We're like, ah, that's, that'd be a great mountain. I wanna see what it's like on top of that mountain. And what you're describing sounds like to me is you'll see a mountain, you'll pick it, you'll start your way up it, and the mountain 
will just start absolutely hammering you with weather and cold, whatever the elements are of that particular project. You're up there, but you just won't quit. You're going to, you want to gut it out and get to the top of it. I think there is a skill in getting like halfway up and being able to discern, like, I can tough this out. I can finish this, or I don't need to finish this one. This one's, I've made it far enough up this that it's okay. I can, I can turn back around and know that I can either return to this another day or I don't need to, this, this isn't the one for me. Mm. What I'm, what I more often struggle with and where I need somebody like you or like any other number of people have had in my life who are like, no, let's get up this thing is I will just stand in the valley and I'll look around and I'll be like, man, so many good looking mountains. I wonder what it's like at the top of any of them. Mm-hmm. And I won't start climbing. And it has taken a long time for me to like, okay, I guess I'm going to go up this one. No, I, okay. May, maybe a little bit. Oh no, no. And then, you know, those good, those good people in your life will be like, Hey man, just pick one, mm-hmm. just pick one and try it. You don't have to make it to the top. Like it, it's fine if you don't but you do have to really try. Mm. That's, that, that's the difficulty. That sounds so mature and so helpful. And so for people, it, I feel like 2020 back to 20, 2020 has been a real middle of the mountain. No matter where you're at looking at the mountain, if you've always said that mountain over there, that's the one I want. 2020 has been like, then go get that freaking mountain. And if you've been on the mountain and you're like, I don't know if this is really the one for me, 2020 has mm-hmm. been like, then get off the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's that it's, it's what I feel like people have said like the gift of, of the gift of COVID. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I guess there's silver lining. I guess maybe that's a great way to look at it. I don't want to say that's a gift, but I think there is a way that COVID can be maximized in our lives in that way mm-hmm. where it's helped us to, push away from the things we needed to or push into the things we've needed to. Mm-hmm. When I hear you sharing though, what I, when I kind of recap that I'm saying, okay, you put people around you, how has your therapist helped you to like dig into that stuff? I, I have had to realize and own that because of that childhood, um, there'd be a lot of words for it, but I mean, like because of that childhood wound, I'll just call it a a childhood wound, the, Mm -hmm. the, the wound of insecurity and of feeling like I never had any control over my own life. Mm -hmm. I still wrestle with feeling like I don't have any control over my life. So the way that manifests for me as a full grown man <laughs> is I still look for people to give me the answers that I'm craving because I don't trust myself to know them or come up with them. Mm. And I think that has been the transition this year. And in my, I mean, in my partnership with my girlfriend and in my, I, I think the two things are in my work in therapy with a, with a therapist, and in close relationship with my girlfriend, having people sort of affirm like you, you have to learn to trust yourself. You have to learn to like 
know that you can come up with answers because one thing that's happened is when, or I'll like take this a step back. Um, and I will preface this by saying that over the years, me and my father have developed a much better relationship now. I think now that I'm grown, we have a much better relationship than we did. We had a very, very difficult relationship when I was a kid. And he has, he has apologized and made amends for, for much of this. But um, we had a, uh, I just had a very, very damaged relationship with my dad for a long time. And uh, it's kind of, you know, he passed down what he knew and he was, he was raised in an orphanage and he was raised horribly. So in context, he actually did a pretty good job, but he, he did the best he could. When I was really young, he had no idea how to talk to a child, how to parent a child, how to instruct a child. So when I was a kid, if I did anything that was just the slightest bit out of line, not even necessarily wrong, just not how he would do it, he would, he would snap at me. He would snap his fingers and he would just say, hey, obey. And he would just like snap at me, obey, you obey. And it, I mean, it, it probably took me until I was in my 20s to realize like, that's how you talk to a dog. That's not how you talk to a kid. I mean, there are times where you probably, you need to be a bit of a disciplinarian. You need to be strong. You need to be able to say to a child, like there are boundaries. This is, there are rules, but that's a little bit different than just blindly like obey because I said so. And to this day, I notice in myself, I'm still looking for people to obey. Mm. I'm, I'm still looking like, do you have the answers? If you have the answers, I'll obey you. How about you? Mm. Like, if you can tell me exactly what you think I should do, I'll do it. Because I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of getting out of line. I like, I don't want to, I don't want to try something, fail and be like, oh, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. No, like failure is a part of it. Sometimes you have to just, just try it, fail. It's okay. It's not a, it's not like that's that's not a, a fault of character that's a process of creativity ingenuity growth like that's part of the process but i just get so trapped that therapeutically that's been the big that's been the big working point is how do i how do i obey myself my gut my soul i feel so i mean a lot of that resonates in me and my therapy work has been a little bit different but when you share about, I mean, my father, I resonate with a lot of that, a lot of like looking for the answer or the silver bullet and the, the plan, the thing that's going to for sure work out. <clears throat> my father was similar. He didn't have a father around him. He didn't know how to father me. He wasn't around for my childhood. He did the best he could uh, with the story that was given to him that left me in a space where I was looking, lacking the validation, the affirmation, some of that stuff. So then it's like, who's going to validate me? That becomes the, the, the woundedness that kind of drives the, that underbelly of like emotion, which then makes me unable to like trust the gut. The gut is like, it's wounded. It's not healed. And so I guess when it, so when you, when you landed there on that trust your gut thing, 
anytime somebody has been like, trust your gut, I've been like, how about I punch you in the face? Let's do that instead. <laughs> huh? How about that big Yeah, break? Yeah, it's just that's like, right. It's so, I'm like, dude, do you, do you understand what you're telling me? I, I'm, I don't know what this thing's saying. Yeah. I just know it's a little bit larger than I want it to be. That's all I know <laughs> about my gut. Oh, you mean internally? <laughs> but I mean, and that, you know, that to me leads us into scripture portion where for a lot of people, we look at scripture as like the silver bullet answer giver. Oh, okay. That's the thing that's going to give me all the success. That's going to. Mm -hmm. And it's just not that it's not supposed to function that way. There is helpful um, guidance in there. There is helpful thought and helpful leading towards wholeness and, mm -hmm. and some of that healing. So we can understand our gut. When, when I say it that way, it makes me think of like the whole thing was based on someone who trusted their gut and moved away from the cycle of what had always been. Mm -hmm. uh, and so today, when, when I think about who you are and what I know about your story, I thought about a different scripture. And I think we'll just go there anyway, because I think when, when you're not able to trust your gut and when everything feels shaky, that mm -hmm. creates the sense of anxiety or mm -hmm. unsettled disruption. And the scripture has a space where it talks about that, where Paul will write to a church in uh, Philippi or Philippi or however we pronounce that. Dan, Dan will pronounce it correctly. But he writes about that <laughs> sense Philippi. Of, of torn Philippi. We're going to call it Philippi from here out. That's my pitch. Uh, and there's like this, there's a, there's a word about that unsettledness. It's disoriented, disjointed. And it, it, it's a Greek word, and I don't know that word at this particular moment. Um, super helpful, even though it's a recording. We'll put it in the show notes, maybe. Um, <laughs> but it, it means like uh, the, just the torment of the disjointedness within you. And, and Paul talks about that. So I'm going to read it, and we're just going to talk about it for a few minutes here, Dan, and we'll see where we go with that. We're in Flippy. Let me find you, Flippy. Here you are, Flippy. Um, at the end, um, Paul, I, I want to know, you know, because I think people, those people who are disinterested in scripture, um, um, or those who are and just have been uncompelled by the ways that it's been told or interpreted, this is for you. And I think about Paul as, you know, this is it's not his Instagram, and it's not his Twitter. It's this blog about what how, how he's encountered the divine and how he wants everyone to experience that wholeness and the ways that he sees that working out um, back to our story and how does that fit into a larger story or what stories help me to see my story well. And this is Paul kind of sharing some of that. So it's in Flippy or Philippians 4. Uh, I love, I wanna read so much more of it. He talks about women and just the, the beauty and the value of women in ministry specifically in women's, um, their contribution to wholeness and kingdom and power and authority as it relates to this way of being in the way of Jesus. But then he goes into this thing about the, um, the anxious or the anxietiness or anxietiness. Strike that from the notes. Um, don't, don't put that in the show notes. <laughs> that may not even be in the video. Psych. <laughs> All right, here we are. Philippians four. I'm going to start at four. Paul writes here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious 
about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and shares this beautiful reflection on the ways that we set our minds onto those things. And that's a different thought for a different day. So, Dan, I, what do you, what do you think I, about I that? could, my, my first thought is that if you don't just record an entire book on tape of you reading the whole Bible, <laughs> the front to back, don't skip Leviticus, like just give me the whole thing. You are, I, the way you read with so much, like so much heart and inflection, it like brings it back to life. I think, I think a big part of the problem is that we just let it get so stale, especially those of us who might've been raised reading it. Mm -hmm. We just let it get so stale and clinical. And when you remind yourself, like these are, these are human beings writing this. I think like, I mean, I don't want to get, I don't want to get heretical, but there was really <laughs> something for me. I think because I learned it as like, this is the word of God, his yeah. very words transposed through his prophets. Yeah. But when I was able to step back and start learning about the context, like these are human beings. They are grappling with the same stuff that we are grappling with today with the same stuff that human beings have always grappled with. Paul is like, he's just some guy. He's an incredibly intelligent, well-spoken and influential guy, but he's just some guy with like fears and past childhood traumas and guilt and shame. And like, when you start reading it through that lens of like, oh yeah, this, this is very, very real. I, I think uh, when I when I hear that, I'm struck with how uh, there's an element of it that is kind of strangely like to me. I'm like, well, that almost sounds kind of strangely Zen for Paul. Mm -hmm. So much of Paul's writings are kind of sharp. Like you, I I mean, it's so frequently because he's writing to communities that are like treating one another poorly, and they're not they're not <laughs> behaving the way that they should be to their brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something so strangely kind of like let go and let be, like about this particular passage that feels a little bit unusual for for Paul. And I love I love the kind of the Zen nature of it. I love the the release, the acceptance. And I think what's mm. interesting is uh, earlier, earlier this year, um, I read Marcus Aurelius's meditations. And it's interesting how much, um, how much this old uh, Jewish mysticism sort of marries with Grecian stoicism in this new way in the new testament like the paul is really mixing and pulling from different philosophical tenets and ideas in order to make these 
these new truths, this, this new way of understanding um, reality and understanding a personal, close, divine. Um, I think when I hear that passage, I think about how I can apply those very archaic sounding words mm. to my current, my current life, supplication. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's not a word I would ever use. So I wonder what supplication looks like for me. Obviously, I mean, in the context of this, this recent weekend, you know, Thanksgiving, um, not just in terms of gratitude, but um, how can we make Thanksgiving not just a holiday, but a daily practice? The giving of thanks, the active sharing of thanks and gratitude. I don't know. I can I can keep yammering. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, well, I, I love all your thoughts and and yammer away. But um, but I, what I I think what you said there is really is helpful for me in that remembering I think supplication is that kind of doing something more than once and mm -hmm. I think for me not just our generation but just the reality of like the timing of things like my mom those like these old prayer warriors it was like you know you go back and, and back to supplicate or thanksgiving and supplication supplication was like make your request made known you keep asking but my mom and in this framework of like supplication and thanksgiving, my mom would always say, ask God, and then begin thanking God for it. And the reality is some of that is like uh, prosperity gospel, and eh, maybe not so helpful. Mm -hmm. And gratitude, I think in scripture or a, a proper biblical gratitude is based on the nature of God, knowing that no matter how this works out, I pray for the Maserati which is weird. I, I don't even want a Maserati. And the fact that I would just make myself so materialistic <laughs> on tape recorded. No, <laughs> um, you want the thing. More importantly, you want your marriage to be whole. Yeah. You want to recover from a really um, tough thing. You yeah. want you want addiction to, to slow down and die down. Mm -hmm. And you make this request made known. But then it's this gratitude, not that that thing is already done, because it's not because we're sitting back to the anxious, the tornness of like incomplete um, tension. Uh, we sit in that tension, but we can be grateful that this God has always been with the people. This mm -hmm. is the God that speaks from the gut. This is the God that even when our guts aren't really um, tuned in well, this God tunes our gut to truth and love and mm -hmm. self so that we can honor ourselves so that we can honor those desires so we can honor those wounds and make the appropriate things. So I, I really appreciate what you said because it's the supplication. It is the repetitive nature, mm -hmm. but then the Thanksgiving of that is, Oh man, that there's specific Thanksgiving about. I remember when that thing happened, when I was healed in that space, or remember mm -hmm. when that miracle thing happened. Back to this conversation about dads. For me, mm -hmm. I remember when the miracle of understanding and being able to be forgiving towards my father. That was a mm -hmm. miracle. Happened through a movie, walking through my dorm room. 
I remember, you know, that, that was a very specific story. It was, I'm on the fourth floor my freshman year, walking down, full of anger, resentment, things like that. They're under the surface. Some guys are watching some movie about a dude at the corner of like my dorm floor. I'm walking down, I'm like, oh, let me stop in for a second. It's this movie about this guy who was in the war and could not love his family well. He was just altered mm -hmm. by the war. And he, all he could do was give his family, like he, he bought his wife and these, his daughters a home, but he couldn't be present, couldn't be a dad for them. And it just miraculously within me click like, oh, my father doesn't. And that was a miracle. It was a miracle through movie, through understanding, through my, all the things in me, it just lined up in that moment when I was mm -hmm. going to probably buy a blueberry muffin or something and got, there was like this God intervention, divine intervention. And so um, before that miracle happens, or you can point back to the thankfulness that is very specific about those miracles, but there's, there is beauty in, in back to supplication that the rhythm of like, oh man, that's why I appreciated your, the ways that you talked about some of those old, the, the Jewish mysticism, or even the ways that you pray that we can be really like specifically thankful for specific things even in the midst of COVID, I'm thankful that it is not raining right now. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful that there is sunlight. I'm thankful that I got to have a cup of coffee with my kids, or there's just things we can point to to be thankful about. And that's what's crazy is that then, then Paul in this next section, which we won't get into too much here, but he says, remember, whatever is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise think about these things that that way of setting our mind meditating mm -hmm. but i think about the rhythms of doing that in gratitude so i appreciate what you shared well come yeah uh, the the idea of supplication being a repetitive process does remind me a little bit of what can be done through mantras and mindfulness you know because mm -hmm. I, I think one way of understanding one way of understanding mantras is just sort of as like a sound or a thought that sort of like brings you back and and some mantras it's not even it's not even supposed to be logical it's just supposed to be sort of like it just takes you out of your own monkey mind right but there is there's a simpler version of mantra where it's just sort of a positive affirmation and i think what i think of when i read this passage is just this sense of like, I'm going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Mm. Like, we're going to be all right. How? I don't know. We're going to be all right. And I think that there is this, there's this need for like a release of control, not necessarily a release of responsibility, because I think there is a, there's a fine line to be walked for being responsible for your character for being responsible for your values and you can be responsible for yourself and your humanity and still surrender to the things that are beyond your control and i think that's where so much of that anxiety comes from is this uh and you know anxiety and it's it's sibling depression is despair about things that we may or may not be able to control. 
So when I hear this passage, I, I think I think that's what feels Zen to me about it is there's this needing to release. Mm. And I know that in my own life, I have been broke a lot. I mean, that's something that on a very practical <laughs> level, I am trying to confront in my life is what is this? What is this addiction I have to financial strife? But mm. whoa, but on on some level, there have been times where I have been broke and I've just been like, oh my God, oh my God, I, I've, I've ruined my life. I've made wrong decisions. I'm such an idiot. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, 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 I'm. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where, you know, something hits me, an unexpected payment, yada, this, that, whatever. And I'm broke and I'm like, I've been here before. It always ends up being okay. I'm going to be okay. And that, whenever I have that feeling, I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is that piece that transcends understanding that the Bible talks about sometimes. Because I don't necessarily have a logical reason for it. If someone were to be like, how? How do you know? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to make sure that this never happens again? And I'm like, well, I I had no idea that the world was going to break down in a pandemic this year. Mm -hmm. I had spent the last six months of my life completely pivoting my work life. I had moved out of bars doing events work, making less money so I could have more freedom so I could write a show. And I like spent six months focusing all my energy, all of my extra time Mm -hmm. and a bunch of my finances into writing this show. Mm -hmm. I put it up and then the world goes dark. There haven't been live performances in nine months. Like, Mm -hmm. There was nothing I that's that's not a bad decision on my part. Mm-mm. It's just stuff I couldn't I couldn't foresee. And I think that that's where that Zen that Zen nature. And I think that in in supplication of repeating, there's so much psychological science behind the notion of the things we repeat have power. Mm-hmm. Because whether or not, I don't know that I necessarily agree with like you're putting physical energy out into the universe and that is coming back at you. I don't know about that. If it, if it works for you, power to you. But I do definitely see all of the evidence for the fact that we have the ability to create channels in our mind, to create pathways in the, the physical substance of our brains that form these connections so that when something occurs, you either immediately think like, I'm a failure. I screwed up again. I'm a loser. This always happens to me. People don't like me. I'm never going to get ahead. I'm like all of that stuff. Or you can begin to dig a new channel of like, Mm. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. I'll find a way. I'm resilient. I'm strong. I'm intelligent. I'm, you know, whatever that thing is, because those things those things are not dictated by outside circumstance. Mm-hmm. Those things are, you know, that's who you are. And you can control those things and the, the supplication of those things. Mm. And I think that for myself, sometimes it's not enough for me personally to just, you know, positively affirm myself. Sometimes mm-hmm. for me, I need to bring in a third party, a divine third party. God, help me develop resilience. Mm-hmm. Remind me that I can do this. Remind me that I'll be okay. You've never let me down. Like you've you, somehow something 
always kind of turns around. I want to be responsible for myself. I don't want to be just like laissez-faire, like, God, if I pray for it, you will just give me whatever I want. I don't mm -hmm. believe that. Yeah. But I do, I'm a big believer in the, you know, the Jewish philosophy of not lighter burdens, stronger shoulders. Oof. So Seriously. I think that's, yeah, that when I think of supplication, I never thought about it that way before, but yeah. that the mindful mantraness of it makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and when you shared about um, back to the peace that surpasses understanding, my, my brain goes in a bunch of different places. What you specifically said about something, this, these are things that are, um, they're, they're non-circumstantial. And I think sometimes a lot of our belief systems can be built on things that are circumstantial. It reminds me of a time Karen and I were at a, a marriage retreat. And um, there's this thing where it, it was a philosophy that's based on a pain and a peace cycle. And so if you get in your pain cycle, you're going to respond this way, and it's going to trigger your partner, and they're going to respond this way. Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the the mental practices of like, call it out audibly, what you're doing, and then call out where you're going to go audibly, and, and set the direction, set the tone back to mantra, how does the mantra reorient my focus, back to digging that that mental groove of like, no, this is what is true. But I, I you know, and I, I think about people who are listening, who are, who've been kind of thrown these scripture verses in their face. And it's like, no, no, this is the truth. And in that moment, I felt like, because they were saying, okay, well, let's, let's ground it in scripture. So what is state of scripture that means this? And, and I felt so um, hesitant and frustrated by that idea. No, no, this isn't about script. This is about me and my wife and some things that we have going on. But it was an invitation to say, okay, but what is not changeable? What is not changing? What is not circumstantial about you and about your wife and about life in general? Mm -hmm. Back to, so I, I think one of the invitations of this scripture in this section and what you're saying is sometimes the scripture and the divine is an invitation to beyond yourself. So even when you can't trust yourself, when I think of addiction, when I think of, um, the, the moments in our lives that have really marked us hallmark moments that mark us to say, Oh, I am not enough. Oh, I'm so, I'm so entitled. I'm so enough this world. How come the oysters aren't opening up everywhere? I'm so enough, mm -hmm. whatever, wherever we're kind of like off and misoriented that the scriptures would pull us towards something outside of ourselves and say, but this is, this is what is true. This is what is right. This is what is good. This is what is honorable. This was loving. Mm -hmm. And to, to create mantras based on that, that get outside of ourselves because we can't trust ourselves because, yeah. you know, I'm going to want a breakfast burrito that could throw off my whole budget. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so yeah, I think this, I, it's, it feels to me like the accidental theme of this conversation has been like an addiction to control. Mm. It's been a, a need for control, which which is so forgivable in a child. Like when you see Ooh. like that, that urge, the urge for control, it comes from like, I just want to be safe. I just want to control my surroundings because I just want to know that I'll be safe. I just want to know that I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's so empathetic to see that in a child. And as we grow older, 
and our impact grows, the, the impact we have in other people's lives, the impact we have in you know, our, our work lives, personal lives, as we have more power to affect the world around us, that need for control, it can get really, really hostile. And it can manifest in, it can manifest in outward aggression. It can, man I mean, ultimately, you know, I have, I have so much empathy for um, the increase in um, deaths of despair that are occurring in our country, death mm -hmm. by suicide, opioids, mm -hmm. and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, because all of those are just, that's a search for control too. I can't control my brain. I can't control my feelings. I can't control my life. I can't control my family. I can't control anything. And, you know, there's that outward expression where you try to take control through power, through, through you know, systems. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be president, like whatever it is. And then there's those kinds where like, I don't have any control over anything. So I'll just, I'll just numb. I just want to turn the sound off. I want to turn the pain down. I just run away. It's, it's all control. And this, this passage to me seems to speak a lot to like, you are not in control. There's freedom in that. There's, there is freedom in being like, well, we're going to be all right. Like I have to, <laughs> I have to let go. Me and, uh, me and my girlfriend talked a lot when we first started dating we got pretty honest with each other pretty quick about how we both had anxieties around dating and anxieties around dating one another mm -hmm. and how we both had our need to sort of control, like, are we good? Is this going okay? Are we going to be okay? Like we both had needs for control and they would manifest in different ways. And often those needs for control would create some tension as we would like move in different directions or one would pursue and the other one would resist, you know, it's all that like early dating stuff. And we started, we developed, the shorthand of like, just carry it with an open palm. Just like, it's, it's like sand in your fist. And if you squeeze too tight, you just squeeze all of the sand out of your hand. And if you just carry it with an open fist, you can't control the wind sweeping it away. You can't control everything, but if you just carry it and you just be open to like, just, just be open. And I think about that more and more with my life, with whatever should happen to land in my hand or whatever I happen to like take responsibility for and be like, I'm going to scoop that up with my hand. Can I hold, can I hold that? May I please hold that? I would like to hold that. Thank you so much. Like, you know, like a butterfly or a bird. Like there it is. It's there while it's there and I'm enjoying it while it's there, but I'm not going to crush it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, but that's, uh, that is the work of a lifetime. I think. Mm, I agree. My brother Dan, you gotta be freaking kidding me, man. You 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 talked about not being able to live up to the hype, and here you are exceeding all the hype and all the praise within the mundane and blah, Dude, blah, blah. You, you 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 set it up. You 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 put the ball on the tee, and I can play tee ball, man. If you oh, if you if you give it <laughs> have you seen have you seen this video? <laughs> Talk about tee ball. No, man, this, you're, you're like one of the, you're, you're one of the easiest guys in the world to talk to about this stuff. You're an absolute, an absolute delight and a pleasure. You make it, you make it fun talking about real 
whether it be light or heavy, because real stuff can be light or heavy. It's always good talking to you about it, man. I love it. Man, I, I so appreciate you, brother. I so appreciate your perspective and the ways that you've invited us into mantras that can create peace that are beyond circumstance that are and that are beyond our understanding into the story of God. So I, I, I so appreciate you. For those of you who are listening, you have to know at the end of our conversations, we have to remind you, Dan's story is no more valuable than yours. Your va you, you have so much to say in your story. Dan has modeled for us what it looks like to put people around us who can help us to become, to live into some of the spaces where we're weaker. He's talked about intentionality, spending resources in therapy to get whole and to be able to identify some of those root spaces where we're wounded. And we may be living from wounds and not even know it. And maybe that's where some of the dissatisfaction is coming from. And we got to talk about scripture a little bit and, and this invitation, this reminder that we can be grateful and thankful. We can create rhythms of gratitude and thankfulness in our lives, pointing back to miracles that God has done. We can reinterpret scripture to understand there is, there can be peace in the midst of financial struggle. Um, saying all that kind of recap, but at the end of the day, this whole thing exists for you to know that your story matters, that you matter, that there is no us and them, that there are differences in values and differences in opinion, but we are all human beings trying to make it with the same kind of drives and needs and wants. Uh, and we're trying to figure those things out together, but a kinship collective, we, it's just us together. So just know, your story matters. You are deeply loved. You are enough. You are worthy. You can make it through this. You will make it through this. Uh, and, and that that is in your hand. Um, and you're deeply loved. And we want you to experience that welcome, that love, that celebration here. And we believe that the scripture will always invite us into that. So Dan, we appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. Those of you who are out there, like and subscribe, share with a friend who needs to be reminded of some of the things that Dan shared with us today. It's freaking incredible. So just like you are, you listen. So much love, y'all. Peace and love. Peace.